Volunteers are needed to help answer the telephones during our upcoming pledge drive from Saturday, June 6th at 7 a.m. through Sunday, June 14th at 6 p.m. To sign up for your shift, please call 469-6600 during weekday business hours, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., or send an email message anytime to chris at weru.org. Thanks to everyone who has already signed up for a phone shift. It's 10.01 and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, a major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine, and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And this morning we'll be talking about nimble nonprofits, strategies in the face of the downturn. I took that term from um, the uh, nonprofit quarterly um, that came out um, a number of, of years ago, but they've that that notion that um, organizations that serve our communities need to be uh, clever and nimble in the face of lots of different situations um, seems to hold hold true. I've got some guests in the studio who can help us with that topic. Glad to welcome uh, Meredith Jones, president of the Maine Community Foundation. Welcome, Meredith. Good morning, Ron. Also with us is Elizabeth Banwell, who is director of external affairs at Maine Association of Nonprofits. Welcome. Hi, Ron. Thanks. And we're glad to have Kim Hardy, who's the executive director of the Mount Desert Island YMCA. Welcome Thank to you, Kim. Thank you, Ron. Thanks. Later on, we'll be joined by Mary Lowry of Scudic Arts for All, and you can participate. If you'd like to take a note of this phone number, give us a call during the program, 1-866-625-9378, as we talk about nonprofit strategies in the face of the downturn. Perhaps each of you could provide a little bit of background, kind of background for our listeners, as to um, how you got into this work and, and a little bit about the organizations you represent, starting with Meredith. Um, Meredith, you were with the Maine Development Foundation um, a number of years ago and then came to Maine Community Foundation. Tell us a little bit about, about that transition. It's been a wonderful transition. Uh, I feel like I've died and gone to heaven. Working in philanthropy is probably one of the best jobs there is in America. I've been there almost 10 years, and a little bit like Kim, I've, I have a new job there at the Community Foundation. I began as CEO the 1st of January, so I've been on the job about 145 days. Great. Great. And tell us a little bit about Maine Community Foundation. The Community Foundation is uh, uh, the community's foundation. And unlike private foundations, we are a community of donors that includes uh, thousands of individuals. We have over 1,200 different funds. And we are a grant-making organization, but we also are involved in a lot of other special project work related to higher education, sustainable agriculture, community economic 
development and environmental stewardship. We also are stewards of assets. We have a lot of nonprofit groups who have their own endowment and have turned over those endowments to the Community Foundation for Management. And we also work very closely with our donors, those individuals I talked about earlier who comprise that community, and we help them with their philanthropy. Great. We'll come back to you in, in okay. just a minute. Um, Elizabeth Manuel with um, Maine Association of Nonprofits. Tell us a little bit about that organization and how you came into that work. Great. Um, the Maine Association of Nonprofits is a statewide membership organization that rep represents nonprofits of all types and sizes across the state. And our mission is to strengthen the leadership voice and organizational effectiveness of the state's nonprofits so that they can better enrich the quality the economic and community quality of the state. Um, we do three main types of things. We monitor bills before the legislature and do advocacy-related things, such as producing an, an economic and social impact report on the sector with funding from the Maine Community Foundation. Um, we do um, a lot of leadership and organization development type programs, training, conferences, um, uh, leadership institutes, that type of thing. And then we do other types of services, such as a very popular job board, uh, which is a central place that people look for jobs. Um, we have a relationship with an insurance broker that provides people with access to affordable health insurance. So a broad spectrum of services for right. this sector. And how long have you been in existence? We have been in existence for about uh, 15 years, actually, this great, year. Yeah, great, yeah, great. yeah. Well, and let's um, turn to Kim Hardy, uh, a bit a background about yourself. And, and most people um, probably have a sense of what a, a YMCA um, is, but maybe um, you'd like to give us the, uh, a, a new definition. The real version. <laughs> right. The real version. Well, I'm a newbie to Maine, so I'm, it's wonderful to meet the two collaborators here and, and know that that happens in this state. The YMCA is seen as a sports facility. That's not what a YMCA is. A YMCA is in a community to provide the community services that a community needs through character building, building people individually. And we use our facilities to build people. And I, I was in the YMCA for about 15 years. I left for about two years. And I had to come back because mm. I so believe in the mission of the organization and the stories that I hear about lives that have changed from people that have engaged and been active in the Y. The Mount Desert Island YMCA is actually very different than most Ys because of its location and the fact that the clientele is so different in the winter than from the summer. So we have some really interesting issues that we need to work with, uh, both in this economic condition and in normal everyday life. Great. Well, we're going to come back to you for a, a, more of a profile um, in, a, in, a, in a few minutes. Um, but let's let's turn to Elizabeth at this point. Get a sense of the of the sector. Um, tell us a little bit about the nonprofit sector in Maine. It's a robust sector. It, it employs a, very, a lot of people. Yeah, it, it's tell a us. robust sector. There are about um, twenty three. Hundred, according to the 2005 census, there are 2,300 reporting nonprofits. That's uh, nonprofits that raise $25,000 or more and have to report to the IRS. And that includes everything from youth organizations, arts organizations, environmental organizations, health and human service. So a broad range of, of the organizations that truly make up the fabric of our communities. Um, 
nonprofits contribute $7 billion to the state's economy, account for 15% of the state's gross product, and have a significant presence in every county in the state. Mm. So and you're describing in that particular, um, the those who um, take in $25,000 yes, or more? Yes, There's probably um, another couple hundred or thousand of people, uh, organizations that don't even reach that threshold, but are still doing valuable community work. Exactly. There are probably 2,000 or so of those, okay. actually. So yeah. I think of um, s- small historical societies or um, cemetery exactly. associations. Exactly. Those, those yeah. things that are that are part of our, our, our communities. Granges, but, that kind of right, thing. Right, yeah. right, right. So uh, as we think about that sector, um, the, the, the notion of, of uh, people coming together to um, solve problems they have begun to realize that they've got something in common, um, even the small organizations and the large organizations, the, yeah. the hospitals to the cemetery associations. They were, yeah. 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 <laughs> they're, they're, the hospitals are kind of on one end of the spectrum, right. but, but they're all, the goal is to, to serve a community need. And so they join around that. And um, we do a lot of programs with executive directors of varying sizes. So a $560 million organization, leader of an organization, and a $100,000 organization. And what they say is that they do share a lot of things in common. Um, just the responsibility, being responsible for the, the overall resources and, and um, you know, uh, shepherding the mission and vision of the organization. So there are, there are a lot of similarities in that regard. So Great. Well, Meredith, as, as um, CEO of, of uh, Maine Community Foundation, um, you've both been a, a grant maker and uh, kind of a, a, a helping to husband funds so that you can do that work and, and, and uh, advance the wishes of the donors. You've probably seen some trends in nonprofit life um, as well. Uh, I see it both as uh, a grant maker, but also we are a nonprofit, so sure. we see it ourselves. We were talking earlier about the budget of the Maine Community Foundation that uh, depends on fees we charge assets. So as assets dropped, fees dropped, which meant that our operating budget changed. So looking at 2009, I'm facing many of the same things that most nonprofits are facing today and will be facing probably for the next couple of years. Uh, And I also see the other side of it. We see the requests that are coming in. Uh, We actually experienced a real uh, boost in the number of scholarship applications because we have a major scholarship program, so there are a lot of folks out there looking for scholarship money. Uh, We also have seen an increase in the number of proposals from nonprofit organizations, and the nature of the proposal has really shifted. So we're seeing a lot more proposals that are far less project-oriented and far more uh, about things that the organizations themselves want to do in order to get through this next 24 to 36 months. So mm. it is sh- shifting. And on the donor side, what we're seeing is uh, some some pull, modest pullback in their philanthropy. Uh, we will likely see an increase toward the end of the year, which is when a lot of the grant-making occurs from the donor funds. But uh, evidence suggests that everybody is feeling this, both on the on the donor side, but also on the nonprofit side. Mm. As, so, as you began to look at um, that, I think you and others have had a conversation in the state about how um, some of the funders can begin to help um, 
nonprofits respond to, to these situations. Tell us about how you began to have that conversation. We will, uh, I will talk about that, and I'll also let, let Elizabeth talk about something that a number of grant makers are doing to uh, really help the nonprofit community. But, but early on in the year, what we did was say to our donors, this is a tough time, so we know that everybody is feeling the pinch. This is not the time to pull back. This is the time to really make sure your, your grant making continues. And also, saying to donors, while projects, new projects are terrific and we always want our nonprofit community to be nimble, entrepreneurial, this is the time to really think about general operating support. This is the time to think about what we in the grant-making community call capacity building activities, strategic planning, hiring a development professional, thinking about a development strategy, those sorts of things that funders don't often want to fund, but mm. now's the time for those things to happen. We're also working with donors in some creative ways of leveraging donor funds. Uh, we actually raised just about a million dollars, believe it or not, from donors for a low-interest loan fund that will be directed to the Maine Farmland Trust for their Buy, Protect, Sell program. So beyond thinking about traditional grant making, we as a funder are thinking about other ways of providing support. And as I said, uh, we also are working in a, in a collaborative arrangement with a number of, of other grant makers and also the Association of Nonprofits and other technical, uh, technical assistance providers on a very specific program to help the nonprofit community. And so that's, Elizabeth, you want to describe some of that um, work? Sure, sure. It's, it's been a really exciting project because I think um, this group of funders and what we call ourselves technical assistance providers, which include um, Common Good Ventures and Institute for Civic Leadership, as well as the Maine Association of Nonprofits, we all realized that organization, a lot of organizations, even before the economic downturn, were really struggling with um, financial viability or sustainability. And we felt that it was a significant really a significant problem facing the sector and that we all needed to come together and do something about it. So in December, the Maine Community Foundation convened a group of uh, funders and these, these uh, technical assistance organizations, and we began saying, what can we do? Mm. And what we decided to do can is, is yeah, go ahead. yeah what we decided to do was to create a program that includes um, a viability assessment an assessment tool that allows organizations to really look at what their financial situation is and then once they have that data to come into a clinic setting where they're supported by consultants that have the expertise um, who can really help them think through what are your options mm. you know given this is your financial situ situation and collaboration partnership acquisition merger those are big things that we're emphasizing and then the follow-up of that is is supportive consulting assistance to help them once they have their kind of action step. Mm, so a three-step process, kind yes. of assessment, a consultation, and then a follow-up kind of um, support. Yes, great, exactly. Great. Yeah. And uh, what kinds of questions do you ask in the viability thing? What, what are you asking people to think about um, in the first phase of that? Well, the first, it's a 60-question it's a assessment tool, and the first 30 questions are about financial things. Mm. Um, and there are just about how much cash do you have, how many cash reserves do you have, so very mm -hmm. specific kind of financial things. Mm -hmm. And then the second part is really about 
your programs and the relationship between uh, mission impact to bottom line, financial bottom line. Mm. So we've tried to look at the at, at the whole organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but just one quick thing: we never would have been able to leverage the resources to create this program without having a collaboration come together. Mm. It would have taken us 18 months to raise the money that we had to raise in order to develop these mm-hmm. um, both the assessment tool and the the process. So it's I think it's been, and we've tested it just recently in Portland, and the results have been really good. So I, th- I, I'm, I'm very happy for what it can provide um, mm-hmm. organizations in the sector. So this is ready to launch now, or has been launched? It, yes, it was launched this past week in Portland with right. um, ten organizations, the United Way. Come so, back to that yeah. in just a minute. Um, funders, um, we think of funders. Or most people think of funders as being the federal government these days. Ah. Tell us a little bit about, um, besides Maine Community Foundation, what are some of the other examples of funders in Maine or who support Maine projects? Well, state government. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about state government and the amount of money that's directed to nonprofit organizations for human service activities. So state government, as we all know, is facing huge budget problems, so there have been significant cutbacks there. Uh, interestingly enough, the federal there's a lot of federal money coming into the state, either through the stimulus or the, um, the Kennedy Community Service Act. So there is money coming from the feds. Uh, corporate contributions are down. Uh, corporations are not as uh, generous as they have been in the past because of their own budgetary constraints. And there is private philanthropy, uh, which is a small piece of the pie. I, th- I think the statistic is something to the effect of it, all the philanthropic dollars contributed in a year in Maine would run state government for about five days. So mm. that gives you a some sense of the scale and scope of private philanthropy compared to public resources. And individual donors make up the, the lion's share of the support for many, many, many nonprofits. And I think some of them are doing okay in 2009. I think that uh, if, the, if this uh, lackluster economy continues, I think that 2010 and 2011 may not be bonus and boom years for the nonprofit community. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth, as you tested this this idea out, um, what was the experience of the people? Were they prepared to answer those 30 questions on finances, or was, was that even kind of a self-education p- piece as well? I think it was a big self-education piece, and we knew that it was going to be. That's mm-hmm. why we coupled it with a clinic format. But I think it's... What's interesting is that as we barely advertise this program, Mm -hmm. but we've already had a waiting list. Um, So the interest is there. The organizations have had a difficult time, some of them filling out the assessment, Mm -hmm. but we've built in support to help them do that. So so I think in the end, it'll... It'll be illuminating to everybody involved. Mm. So, yeah. It seems like that that, um, finances are sometimes the, the, the... the last thing that people think about when they start a nonprofit or they want to do this good idea, they don't kind of necessarily think about those things. So, so just doing the assessment will help them understand their own situation. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's to, to give them a realistic picture of where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what kinds of things, um, without need, you know, uh, divulging any secrets, what kinds of things did people put into their action plans in this pilot phase? What what kinds of things are, are some of the nonprofits thinking about that might solve some of the difficulties they find themselves in? I think exploring uh, places where uh, 
you know, really collaborative options, but maybe places that would take on a program that they um, they might dissolve their organization, but look for a home for the program itself, okay. or uh, looking to merge with a, another organization, or looking for um, a way, realizing that they provide a unique uh, skill or offering and looking for a way to restructure that so that they can bring in more revenue for their organization. So thinking about it that way. Right. So it seems like that the end result isn't just advice to do a better job of, of their own development. No. It, it's much broader than that. No. Great. No, it's not Great. the, you know, the hair shirt, work fill work. You right, know? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Well, Kim, uh, Kim Hardy from, um, I'll just remind listeners that we're talking about nimble nonprofit strategies in the face of the downturn. Meredith Jones is with us. She's the CEO of Maine Community Foundation. Elizabeth Manuel is Director of External Affairs at Maine Association of Nonprofits. And Kim Hardy is with the Mount Desert Island YMCA. Kim, is any of this making sense as a relatively newcomer to um, the MDI YMCA, but with a, a background in, in YMCA work? It all makes uh, absolute sense, although I would say that we come from a different environment in that we're mar- far more corporate. We pay dues to a national office, and we have, we have uh, resources available to us that, that these two organizations are, are putting out, not the grants so much, mm-hmm. but... So, so tell us a little bit about how you're structured as, a, okay. as an organization, because we'll have an example of another nonprofit, um, uh, Mary Lowry and Scooter right. Guards for All, which is probably um, what we think of as the more traditional community-based nonprofit. Right. So we are community-based in the services that we mm-hmm. offer, but we pay dues to a national office, mm-hmm. and their role is not to govern us. They provide resources for okay. us. And then we also have a resource structure right in the state of Maine that we pay dues to, and that's an association of CEOs and all staff, and they provide resources to us too, and we share amongst ourselves. So I've always told people that if you work for the YMCA, you can get the equivalent of a nonprofit management degree or youth services degree just by taking coursework through the YMCA. When I first started out in the Y, I had to go to financial development school every year. (laughs) So we are in a little bit different situation as far as needing outside services. Um, But when I look at my counterparts, they are so lucky to have your kind of organizations around because we we have our internal resources. Okay. How how are you um, uh, funded uh, in, in your community? What's the the funding stream. You have a membership piece, but you also raise money and you seek support from the community, uh, the local government. Absolutely. And, you know, our, our YMCA actually sets a record throughout the country. We raise about 25% of our operation budget in the community through an annual support campaign and special events. Uh, the average Y raises about 8%. Uh, so we raise 20% that way. We raise about 60% on membership and the rest on program fees. Okay, yeah. And in terms of your governance structure, tell us a little bit about that. You've, I think you've got a, both a board of trustees we and d- a board of directors. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, we do. We have a board of directors that oversees the governance and the fundraising of the organization. And we have a, a very strong, actually, board of um, managers lucky to have them. We also have a board of trustees and they govern and manage our money that are that's in our endowment and our building fund. 
and this goes back to 190 something or rather. So this is a pretty um, standard but older model of how to, yes. to, to divide those responsibilities up. Very much so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as you look um, to um, the, so you, some of your uh, money is an endowment. Yes. Um, so you face the same situation as other organizations. Are you doing anything differently as a result of the downturn, for instance, um, as, you, as you think about, you know, the next couple of years? You know, I can't say that it's because of the downturn. One of the reasons I was brought in mm -hmm. actually was to build our endowment. And I've also restructured our annual support campaign. So it's something that needed to be done anyway, but very much so in this economy. I am changing the way that we raise money this year in our annual support campaign. We used to do a traditional letter campaign, and I am switching it to uh, the traditional Y way, which is a personal ask. That way you can get out in the community and tell your story and get to know people. And it's you engage volunteers in the process, and the bottom line is the more volunteers, the more money you raise, mm. and the more you can tell your story in the community. So I'm very much looking forward to doing that. I have a fabulous campaign manager. Am I a little nervous because I'm making a change this year? Yes. Yeah. Well, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds like you're, you're going back to what the MDI YMCA had to do to, to raise money for its, its wonderful structure. Right. It, and that was that kind of personal ask kind of campaign. Absolutely. Right. And that brings us into community more. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, many organizations um, get nervous about that personal connection. They would rather just send the letter. Do you find that true, as uh, Elizabeth or, or uh, Meredith, in terms of how organizations um, do their own fundraising? Uh, I, I think of a lot of the smaller nonprofits. They are really leery of, of asking people for money. They would, in, in person to person. I think that's true with a lot of board members mm -hmm. who uh, some, somehow feel that it's... Um, they shouldn't be asking. I, I think it's fun. I think it's a challenge. And what I al always say is, if you believe in it, I I it's not charity at all. It's an investment in, in something that you believe in and are passionate about. So shame on us if we're not out there saying, telling the good word and trying to generate support because at the end of the day, it's the it's the dollars that make an organization grow. I'm sort of interested that that Kim, you're not thinking about technology in some way. And I think I I mean I do think you're right. It's absolutely it's people give to people. Right. People give to ideas. Right. People give to people. So a letter, it's pretty easy to say I like the organization. I'll deal with that some other day, and then they never deal with it. But it's much harder to say no to somebody face to face. But there is also almost the other end of that, and using t new tools and technology for because that's how the younger generation communicates. Right. So you know, when you said you were changing the way the campaign would run, what I thought you were going to say is we're going to do it all through texting. <laughs> no texting, no texting. You can give online, and we've opened a Facebook page, and. I think you're right. We probably do need to look at the younger population and work that in. I do in my heart believe it's a face-to-face. -face. I don't care what age you are, though. Mm -hmm. Let's list our phone numbers um, here at this point. 1-866-625-9378 um, or locally 469-0500 as we talk about nimble nonprofits here on Talk of the Towns. Uh, please give us a call. 1-866-625-9378. Um, this, this notion of, of um, using all kinds of strategies um, to think about 
managing um, through the, the uh, economic situation, the downturn, um, mentioned endowments are, are organizations that use Maine Community Foundation um, and, and endowments, are they doing anything differently? Are they um, having to think differently about that? They are having to think differently about it. We made a commitment to maintain our 5% spending this year. We made that commitment earlier in the year, but we also uh, alerted nonprofits that we would be reconsidering that spending amount for future years because at the end of it, we are ultimately responsible for maintaining the corpus and also making sure that that corpus grows. That's our commitment to the nonprofits where we hold the endowment. Uh, the board just last week voted to institute a 4% spending policy in 2010 with some caps to make sure that we are not overspending those endowments for the long term, because we are in the business of maintaining those assets for the long term. So yes, nonprofits that depend on those endowments will be affected and will be behaving differently. Mm -hmm. And Kim um, Hardy, did you, did you make any changes in terms of how you treat your endowment at the MDI YMCA, in terms of how much you draw from it? No, we've made no changes, which is actually a positive thing. We're not dipping into it more, and we're hoping that we don't have to. And do you have a policy like Meredith talked about in terms of a certain percentage? Yes. Okay. Yes. Roughly what? The, it's what? about five percent. Okay. Great. Great. And and Meredith, is that generally um, outside of tough times? That's generally um, a, a kind of conservative policy that allows the money to keep growing, but gives um, a reasonable kind of stream of income. Is Historically, that? it has been I, I, it, that five percent may precede me, but yes, it accounts for inflation, it accounts for growth, and it accounts for spending. Mm -hmm. So that 5% rate should allow the uh, investment to grow over time, mm -hmm. even including inflation. Mm -hmm. But these are not usual times. Right, right. Let's go now by phone to Mary Lowry. Mary is uh, director of uh, Scudic Arts for All. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Mary. Hi, Ron. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about um, yourself and, and uh, Scudic Arts for All before we ask you about how you're coping with the downturn. Uh, Scudic Arts for All is located in Winter Harbor on the Scudic Peninsula, and we're actually a 10-year-old small nonprofit, and we are a performance presenter and a workshop nonprofit. So we present workshops and performances year-round on the Scudic Peninsula. And uh, as I recall, you grew out of a concern that the um, former Navy base was going to go away and there was needed to be something else happening in the community. Well, that's exactly right. When the Navy base announced its closure, a group of citizens came together and said, what are we going to do when the Navy base closes? And our founder, Cynthia Thayer, said, let's have an arts festival. That was in 1999, and we were formed actually to address an economic impact. The festival lasted two weeks and be, was such a raging success that other folks uh, approached us to do more programs, have more year-round events, and we grew exponentially, actually doubling in size every year for seven years. Uh, so that, that showed that there was truly a need. And, and on the, on the, after the tenth year, in taking a look at how do, we, how do we actually measure whether we accomplish this economic impact or not? Um, you know, you talk about how do you quantify something like the arts. You can talk about enrichment, and you can talk about quality of life, and you can talk about self-esteem and, and all kinds of things. But to actually quantify it, to put a number on it, how do you do that? Well, we took a look at um, what 
we could measure as far as the creative economy in Maine and its sort of standards, this initiative about bringing creative businesses, creative endeavors to Maine, and how do you foster that? And so in, in looking at our impact on the creative economy on the Scudic Peninsula, we took a look at new businesses that came into the community that were of a creative nature during the presence of Scudic Arts for All, which was acting as an economic magnet. And we found that in, in 10 years, 16 new creative businesses came into the Scudic Peninsula, many of them as a direct result of knowledge of the Scudic Arts or all program and some of its offshoots. That's that's. Uh, I don't think many organizations can tell that story. That's a great story. What about the direct um, economic impact? You put money into the community. Um, tell us a little bit about how that works um, on a, on a year-round basis. Well, we put money into the creative community certainly by hiring local musicians, local artists, local arts instructors. Uh, if, if we believe that we want to help them make their living in a creative way here in Maine. If they can't make a living here, they're not going to be here. They're going to go someplace else. So we hire uh, 90-some-odd uh, instructors, over 100 performers a year that are based here in Maine. And do you have a, a sense of, of what dollar amount um, that might add up to in a, in a given year? Well, I don't know about the direct direct salary amounts, but it would probably be somewhere in the vicinity of, um, not, not including our ordinary staff, probably somewhere in the vicinity of $40,000 a year. Mm -hmm. So in, in some ways, you're a, you're a small business, and you, instead of employing a, a few employees year-round, you're employing a lot of employees for discrete um, segments of, of the year. They're, they're contracted, yes. Yeah. They're not really employees. Right. There's certainly, certainly people that we pay for their services. Right. So as you um, began to see the economic clouds uh, gathering and, and, and saw some of the results, have you done anything different in the last year or so, or, or as you look forward, are you uh, planning to do anything different? Well, we, we, we took a look at how we were going to be able to make our services available, um, how, we could, how we could bring access to our services to everyone who wishes to participate. Um, and so our, our rallying cry this year is more for less. Hmm. We uh, increased our number of we're, we're, we increased our number of offerings. We're trying to meet the new economy head on. By last year, we offered 65 workshops at the Scudic Arts Festival. This year, we're offering 80 workshops at the Scudic Arts Festival. They're of shorter duration. They're more affordable. And we've initiated a really exciting new little component to the festival, which is we call it after workshops. <laughs> and it's Great. aimed at folks that have a job during the day. They can come in for a two-hour workshop after work every day of the festival. So for 20 bucks, you can come in and make a bracelet or, or learn how to play a song. So that's, that's one of the really exciting things that we've done. Another is that we have increased our live performance offerings from 90 live performances last year to 97 live performances this year. Some of those, six of those, are free outdoor concerts in the park on Sunday afternoons. This is in partnership with the Channing Chapel Library Association, so we're using their lawn. 
And that's another thing that we've done quite a bit this year. In fact, it's been a very sort of a natural way of evolving is regarding partnerships with other groups and other nonprofits. Uh, WERU is an example of that. We have two groups here, Scudic Arts for All and WERU, each of which has a specialty, something that we do very well, and we need the services of each other. Scudic Arts for All does performances really well, and WERU does radio really well. And so we've partnered on uh, the performance of coming up this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Hammond Hall of Nickel and Dimed, and Scudic Arts for All is providing a, the half of the partnership that's the performance, and WE is providing the half of the partnership that's helping us promote this on the radio. So we've had a, a number of partnerships coming along that have been to mutual benefit of two different groups. So it sounds like, um, in addition to the, the notion of, of paying attention to your audiences and, and anticipating that they might meet, need more for less, you're also saying, oh, we need to increase our partnerships. Um, Kim Hardy, is that similar to the, kind of the things that you're doing at the MDI YMCA, thinking about um, who's taking advantage of your programs and this, their situations and then notion of partnership? We haven't done a lot of partnering yet. Uh, you're, you're relatively new in terms well, of kind of I am, getting I, to the, know, know the community. I'm very open to partnering, but we have made changes and some accommodations uh, given the current economic situation. We, if we have a member, a full-time me a, a member who had a full-time job that lost their job, we're giving them three months free membership. Uh, we'll be shortly instituting something called membership for all, which uh, gives a lower rate at a certain income level and lower. We'll mm. be doing that shortly. And we are trying to offer more free classes. It's hard to do. Another statistic we have that's a little bit different is we have a smaller membership base based on our budget. So we can't give as much away as we'd like to, but we're trying to get creative with that. Mm -hmm. Well, Mary, um, any advice to other nonprofit leaders that might be listening um, um, this morning? Well, I think that, that um, I don't know if I have advice except what we've already talked about. You know, listening to our constituents, working together between us all. We have a lot. We know a lot. Um, and, um, and we can all help each other in ways that we may not have even discovered. As an example, Scudic Arts for, for All has been a springboard for other creative endeavors and other nonprofits that have come our way. I'll use the Scudic International Sculpture Symposium as an example for that, um, when a person would come to us with a great idea, present it to the board, we can take it on perhaps as a fiscal sponsorship, perhaps as just um, allowing a group to be supported by us as a sponsor and a partner, and, uh, and come up with, with, um, with a richness of community and a real anchor for community building. And so that particular group, the, the arts, uh, the, the sculpture, um, international sculpture group, um, they've kind of formed their own group, but they use you as the, as the springboard to do that. That's right. We launched them. They're now getting their own nonprofit status, which is as it should be, but we were able to get them started. We're in our second year of the Sculpture Symposium, the second, the second cycle. It happens every other year for a decade. Um, I'll use another example. I had a call a little while ago from some uh, some musicians that wanted to start the Winter Harbor Chamber Music Festival, and they'd like to partner with us and have Hammond Hall, our building, as their home base. And so we're forming a partnership with them. It's going to be another great 
arts and culture activity in our neighborhood, and we're both going to be benefiting from it. Great. Ron, I have a question for Mary. Uh, this is Meredith Mary. The literature I read, which is uh, the Chronicle of Philanthropy, that talks ge- uh, generally about trends in philanthropy, one of the trends we're seeing nationally is that money that historically has been directed to arts and cultural organizations is moving in the direction of basic needs. So my question to you is, are you seeing any evidence of that in memberships or contributions to your organization? Well, certainly that's been at the front of our minds in this, in this time of, at this time of the year when we're launching our spring campaign. Um, our funding stream basically is divided into three parts that are approximately in thirds. Um, one of them is that our tickets and tuition pays for about a third of our, our expenses for programs. Another third is donations, and another third is um, grants and family foundations. So, of course, we're, we're taking a good look at um, things that will be funded, for example, municipal, municipal funding. They're mostly going to be doing things that are a matter of life or death for their constituents, and that's as it should be. Mm-hmm. We're approaching, we're, we're making a stronger approach, a stronger appeal to the business community all around our region, and they have responded to us very well as far as business sponsorships. Our business sponsorships are up over 300% this year above last year at this time. So that's, uh, we're just approaching a, a new constituency, and, and they are responding. Mm. Sounds like, again, uh, like uh, Kim Hardy, uh, a diversified funding stream um, is really important. And you've tapped into three um, different ones, and, and um, it's, that, that sounds like a good strategy. Well, it's, it's, working, it's working quite well for us. You know, we're always trying to figure out what if, what if. We're, 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 we have always run lean. Mm-hmm. We are small. We have a staff of 1.75 full-time equivalents. <laughs> yet we do this ginormous program that is actually not just the festival. I should I should emphasize that we're that's only one sixteenth of what we do. We have community uh, other community things that run ongoing. For example, our coffee house that runs year-round and our concert series. But we've also got a, a summer chorus. And we've got a, thanks to the Maine Community Foundation, a, a kids' show choir and a show choir junior um, that run during the summer to supplement the music education that the kids get in school. We also have, again, thanks to the Maine Community Foundation, three steel pan bands. Some of those um, members of the children's bands are homeschoolers that actually have um, derived their, their music credit through our music programs that occur year-round. Great. Well, Mary, thanks so much for being with us this morning on Talk of the Towns. It's a pleasure. Mary Lowry of uh, Scudic Arts for All. And you're tuned to Talk of the Towns. You can participate. Perhaps you have questions for our guests. Give us a call at 1-866-625-9378 or locally at 469 
800-500-0500. Our guests in the studio are Meredith Jones, President of the Maine Community Foundation, Elizabeth Banwell, Director of External Affairs at Maine Association of Nonprofits, and Kim Hardy of the Mount Desert Island YMCA. Um, Meredith, as you've heard these two kind of profiles, um, anything else come out um, for you in terms of are these typical organizations? Are you seeing some other trends that, that uh, um, we ought to be considering? Uh, I think that, um, no, I think these are very nimble organizations. You, you talked about nimble nonprofits. I think that uh, the best nonprofits and those that are far more likely to see survival at the end of whatever uh, time frame we have in this lackluster economy are going to be those that do have diversified revenue streams that are thinking very creatively about ways of partnering with other organizations that have very strong leadership at the staff and at the board level. So those are just some of the things. In fact, last night I was in Augusta speaking uh, to a group where the executive director had been on board for 30 years. This is an organization that not only has survived for 30 years, but is just as relevant today as it was when she started 30 years ago. And it's a testament certainly to a lot of things. But more than anything, I think it is that this is an organization that has always been nimble, modified its programs to be relevant, did have strong leadership that was very entrepreneurial, knew when to seek uh, advice and counsel and technical support when necessary. But I think that... Uh, what the stories we're hearing this morning are really stories of people who are reaching out and not hunkering down and that in large measure I think will be the success stories when in 2011 or 2012 or maybe even 2010. Mm. Mm. Uh, Elizabeth, in terms of Maine Association of Nonprofits, you've probably seen um, some trends in terms of the kinds of, of educational programs or support programs that you offer, um, the training programs. Mm -hmm. um, is there more attendance at those? Or are there particular focus areas that, that you think are emerging um, in that area? Yeah, we've actually been holding steady. We've been really very pleasantly surprised that our membership has been increasing and that um, attendance at our training programs has held steady. So we're actually, we're, we're, we're doing very well. And to, to Meredith's point, um, you know, adaptability, innovation, creativity, all the things that are demonstrated by the why and by um, Scooty Guards for All are the things that make us have such a vital um, nonprofit sector, which we do. I mean, mm -hmm. Maine has a lot to be, um, you know, uh, has a lot to be proud of in terms of its nonprofit sector. I mean, think about our communities. Mm. I mean, the fabric of our communities is really built on, you know, civic engagement and nonprofit organizations. Mm. And um, so despite the things that we hear about, you know, the difficulties with financing and things like that, I mean, we have a very strong and flourishing um, sector. Um, one thing that I don't think any of us have touched on is just that the, the, the impact on the health and human service sector is tremendous, and it has been over the last couple of years. And so they've really, really been struggling. And that represents about 58% 58 58 of our sector. So it's a huge part of our sector. And um, there you know, is a growing understanding that something needs to change our system 
our system of funding those organizations. Not only have we lost public funding, but the system that supports that is really in dire need of changing. And I think the state is more open to that. And I know certainly organizations that have lost that funding are open to having that conversation. So um, that's an area where there's been big um, what pain. Would, what would that conversation look like in your idea? Or, or Meredith, maybe you have some thoughts about what, what's, what are the elements of that conversation about how we take care of people in the state of Maine, recognizing that traditional funding isn't working? I think it's an emerging conversation. Mm. I think it's, you know, it's it's kind of like on a national scene with the, the car industry, the banking industry, mm-hmm. and nobody has any solutions. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've spent a long time creating these systems, mm-hmm. and now a lot of our energy goes into maintaining those systems. And so we're all kind of scratching our heads about mm-hmm. how do we change them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there are any demons out there. I think that mm-hmm. people just, I think starting the conversation is a good place to begin and mm-hmm. just basically admitting that um, the system isn't working for either the state or the providers and that, um, you know, at the bottom line are our communities. Mm-hmm. So how do, we, how do we start the conversation from what our communities really mm-hmm. need and then create a system that supports those communities? So it's like everyone should have a conversation about what kind of community do you want to live in? Right. And then how do we make that happen? Right. And not assuming that the past way we've made it happen is going to be the way we do it in the future. Right. And Mm. then at the same time, we can have that, but we've created this whole system that has to be changed at the same Mm -hmm. time, Mm -hmm. which makes it very difficult. But it's happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's happening around um, issues. Like in Bangor, the DHS is working with a lot of um, uh, uh, child-focused organizations. Mm -hmm. And in York County, um, their organizations, Maine Community Foundation is one of the funders around foster care, youth, all different types of organizations. So, so people are beginning those conversations. Yeah. So, the, in this case, um, Maine Community Foundation and other funders are are helping to start the conversations. Yes, mm. and yeah, I think them. we always talk about what are those strategic points of intervention. Mm. How do you leverage money? And we talk a lot at the Community Foundation about just the different types of philanthropy. The different t- whether it's uh, do you give somebody a fish? Do you <laughs> teach that person how to fish? Do you make sure that there's clean water and clean air and uh, the economic situation where the person can buy a fishing pole and be able to fish? Or that uh, the fish is, is, is in the river to start with. Or that the fish is in right. the river. <laughs> and then you sort of step back, well, did anybody ask this person if they liked fish? <laughs> so uh, we're always wrestling with, you know, d- do you give them a fish? Mm-hmm. Do you create an environment where they can have a conversation about uh, whether we ought to be eating fish and whether mm-hmm. we like fish mm-hmm. and how do we make change happen? And I know that there are a lot of national funders who might have been either feeding or teaching people how to fish that are now thinking that that one of the most important places to leverage change is at the statewide or federal level through policy initiatives. And mm-hmm. I think uh, certainly the Maine Association of Nonprofits has been very active at the state level to, to be an advocate for the nonprofit community and creating an environment in the, in the legislature that is supportive of the work that the nonprofit community is doing. But it is, I think, an emerging conversation, as Elizabeth suggests, and we're just scratching the surface. But that's the exciting part mm-hmm. about being in the business that we're in, that, it's, that it is dynamic, it's not stagnant, and there's always a new conversation. Mm. 1-866-625-9378. Give us a call this morning as we talk about nimble nonprofits, strategies in the face of the downturn. Um, 
the 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 idea that uh, these conversations might start um, you know, t uh, takes me at least to the the notion of of how do you fund those conversations at the community level, or how do you start those at the community? What do, what does a community want in terms of its its uh, the mix? And I suppose uh, Kim in, at the YMCA, as you, as you get started, you're having that conversation too. You're you're beginning to say, well, what uh, what has the YMCA done? But what else could we be doing? How could we partner with those kinds of things? Is that you know, you, you were part of a, of a, a group of, of business leaders not too long ago. Um, what, what did you take from that kind of thing? Uh, I'd like to answer that, but I'd like to just add to yeah. what Elizabeth and Meredith said when they were talking about conversations about moving forward. Something the YMCA did nationally, we're still deeply engaged in it, is we partnered with the Search Institute. And instead of looking at problems in the community, mm. we've, we've chosen to look at assets in the community and bringing people together to discuss assets and look at, at what can people do for each other in a community and build a person and spend money on building people rather than, well, not rather than, but trying to get away from having to fund all the negative okay. attributes in a person. And we were very successful with that. Very, very successful, continuing to do it, uh, partnering with the Search Institute. On a local level, yes, there's groups of business leaders and nonprofits working together to see how to improve the community. We do work closely with the town uh, in providing recreational services for the community. I think there are also on, on Mount Desert Island, there's two other neighborhood centers like ourselves. And we have started the process of talking about what can we do to co collaborate together to build our organizations and provide better services in our, our small little communities that we're in. Mm. Asset development, Meredith, that's something that Maine Community Foundation has really um, piloted or, or talked about a lot in, in Maine. It's the foundation of our being. It mm -hmm. really is. What's good in a community and how can you make it better rather than the woe is me, things are going to hell in a handbasket, and how do we fix all of our problems? I mm. mean, it's subtle. It's a subtle shift, but I think it really is an important shift, and it's the difference between telling good news stories or just bemoaning the fact that things aren't great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we certainly see the results of that. I, I, I'm sure that uh, um, Mary Lowry's uh, program there is saying, what assets do we have in our right. community, artistic art assets, and how do we build on those? Elizabeth, do you see this as a, as a uh, kind of emerging wave or trend? Yeah, well, I, I do think that it, it I do think that it's something that's ca characterized our sector in a lot of ways that um, you know um, entrepreneurialism and adaptiveness, um, and I think that uh, you know I mean, we've never been able to meet all of our community needs, mm -hmm. and so you know beginning the conversation like we have to meet all the community needs. It's it's so it's like what can be done. Yes, there is an issue, but what can be done with what what exists, mm -hmm. and also just the idea that there are certain things that aren't going to go away. I mean, community development isn't going to go away. Community development organizations or an organization might go away, mm -hmm. you know, or um, a dance troupe might fold. No, mm -hmm. you don't want it to fold, but dance is never going to go away, mm -hmm. you know, so that there is this, there is this regeneration that just happens 
but there, the impulse to preserve community exists mm. below the organization mm. level, you know, so that'll continue to revitalize itself. Right. So that the, the notion that um, we look at what our community uh, makes up a community, yes. and we want to support those kinds of things, we might see organizations, you know, fade away or something else be re- reborn. Yes. Right. Exactly. Right. right. Yeah. Well, let's see if we have a phone call, um, a question or, or, or so. Go ahead with your question or answer, please. Question or comment, please. Yes, go ahead. Yes, um, it's Greg from Troy. I had a question for the panel. Uh, money's hard to come by for nonprofits. And uh, at times like this, there could be a challenge between, um, I guess, need for funds and funding ethics. What happens when you really, really want to complete your program, fund your program, and only the only money out there is, say, from a tobacco company or defense supplier, nuclear nuclear plants? How do you make the judgment? How do you make the call? Hmm. What's more important? Hmm. That's a great question. We'll see if we can get some response. Okay, dog. I'll listen offline. Thank, Thank you. you very much for your call. How do you make those kinds of ethical kinds of decisions, or do you see organizations struggling with that? Kim, do you kind of ask um, questions about um, where the money comes from, or do you just take it all? You know, I have <laughs> I have not dealt with it personally, right. and I, I would I would have ethical issue around some companies, but I will tell you that nationally, the YMCA has takes money from PepsiCo, mm-hmm. but we also uh, are doing healthy communities and healthy kids and healthy families. I just read a great fundraising book, and one of my favorite, my the best one I've read, I can't remember the name of it, but there was a line by a college president that I loved, and he said they, they, they met for about six months on whether they should take this multi-million dollar gift from somebody, mm-hmm. and the president finally said, you know what, if we take it and put it to good use, they won't be using it for something that we think is inappropriate, and I <laughs> love that line, so I'm going to close with that. Okay. <laughs> Um, any uh, response from our other uh, panelists, either Elizabeth Banwell from the uh, Maine Association of Nonprofits or Meredith Jones from Maine Community Foundation, a notion of, of d- do we have t- um, um, uh, some kind of ability to make a decision about where our money's coming from? Elizabeth? I, we haven't personally had to make that decision, but I was, I'm here poking Meredith to remind her of just, I mean, in terms of thinking about it from the funder's perspective and setting the intention um, from that direction. I mean, something that the Maine Community Foundation did, and Mer- Meredith's looking at me quizzically, was that they they said, these are some values that we strongly believe in, in terms of you know, uh, anti-discrimination. And they said, we want the organizations that we fund to uphold these values. Mm. And so, I mean, that's a, it's, a, it's a different twist, but in a way it's the same it's the same issue. Mm-hmm. And I'll let you, it's your story. So No, the, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> it, uh, it seems like it was eons ago, and it was a struggle internally because it does raise a whole host of issues about individual values and, and what's important. And at the end of the day, for our competitive grant-making programs, our community-building program, because we are an inclusive organization and it is a value we espouse in our grant-making, that was a policy we embraced as an organization. So getting clear about your own values, and then that will help you make the decision. Great. We've just got a a very short time. Uh, Very briefly, what are your hopes um, uh, for the nonprofit sector? Uh, Start with uh, Meredith Jones. My hopes are that it remains nimble, that we are honest about uh, the importance of collaboration and getting through this this struggle so that at the end of it, we are a stronger nonprofit 
uh, sector. Great. Elizabeth Manuel? Um, mine are somewhat similar that we use the down economy as a time to strengthen the sector and to assess how we can better meet community needs and to really use the opportunity to improve the relationship with the state and health and human service organizations um, and to look for opportunities to strengthen. Great. Um, Very briefly, Kim, hope for the nonprofit sector. My hope is that when we go out and fundraise this year and we talk to our donors about the need of a nonprofit that they are able to give because all nonprofits right now are really serving the community in the way that needs to be served at this time. Great, thanks. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday morning, mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks to our guests in the studio, Meredith Jones of Maine Community Foundation, Elizabeth Banwell of the Maine Association of Nonprofits, Kim Hardy of the Mount Desert Island YMCA, and by phone, Mary Lowry of Scudic Arts for All. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Thank you.